Sometimes it just seems like nothing will go right for you. Have you ever been there? Maybe some of you have heard the story of a Texas school teacher, and uh, she had to help little Johnny get his cowboy boots on. And it was hard, and she struggled and pushed and pulled, and finally she got them on. And Johnny looked down, and he said, uh, they're on the wrong feet. So she struggled up just as much to pull them off again, switch feet, pull them back on. He said, they're, my, they're not my boots. <laughs> ah, struggle, struggle, back, pull them off. They're my brothers. My mom made me wear them. Oh, and pull them back on. Finally, she gets them both on. They're on the right feet. They're on the right kid. Now, now your mittens. Where's your mittens? Stuffed them in the toe of my boot. <laughs> sometimes the days just go like that, don't they? And you know, sometimes in our Christian life, things go in a difficult way. And we don't understand it because we thought that if God is looking out for us, then he will care for the problems and the difficulties in our way and he will move them aside and he will answer our prayers and everything will turn out fine. James says it's otherwise. James uh, begins his book with some of the most patently ridiculous advice that anybody could ever give. We should re maybe read about that and then find out how ridiculous or not it really is. So James chapter 1, we're going to spend the next few months going through the book of James. James is a very exciting book for me because it's so practical. Every day, here's how you need to live day by day. Here's what you're going to run into this week. Here's what's going on in the church. Here's the things that I'm concerned about for you. And here's what to do about it. So will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together in James chapter 1. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he identifies himself. He doesn't mention that he's Jesus' half-brother. He doesn't mention that this is not the way he talked about Jesus when they were growing up together. He didn't even believe in him. But he came to. To the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flower fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. May God 
encourage us with his word this morning. You may be seated. So, what a way to start off a book. Uh, Count it all joy, my brothers. Now that, that part, I'm, I'm all good with. I like joy. You like joy. We all like to be joyful and happy. But when? He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so, this morning, I just have three words for you. So this shouldn't take long, should it? Three words. And uh, those three words are count, no and let. So, you got those three words? Now, we, we should fill them out just a little bit before we go home. Uh, James is absolutely practical and soundly denounces a faith that lives in an ivory tower but fails in the marketplace. James says your creed must yield conduct. That is, what you believe The things you say you believe should, must, will change your life. Change the way you look at life. Change the way you respond in life. And change the way you are moving through your existence here. Doctrine advanced by duty. Otherwise, just toss it. If your doctrine doesn't change your life, James says, just toss it, because it's not doing you any good. It's only as the things that we believe change the way we are and who we are that they're of any relevance in this world at all. If I can believe, Paul says this way, uh, you know, you say you, you believe. Well, that's pretty good, but so does the devil. So... That's no big advantage. The difference is how we respond to what we believe and what we believe does in our lives and in our hearts. I heard about an uneducated pastor. There's a few of them around. And he was visiting a deacon who had been strangely missing for quite a while. And and he went to see him and and the deacon said to him, well, I've been having some heart issues, pastor. And the pastor said, it's not your heart, it's your liver. You're not living right. So James says, be careful of your liver. You gotta be living right. And so James leans over us, a little bit like a dentist. And he says, this may hurt a little. Does it, there'll be a prick here, but, but it'll, it may hurt you a bit, but this is going to help you. And James wants to put in a couple of fillings so that we don't lose our spiritual bite. And as we go through this book, we're going to see that every time James says, this, this may hurt a little bit, that he's got something for us that's exciting that will change our lives. Remember now, the background of this book is... It's written to the Jews in dispersion, Jewish Christians in dispersion. They're, they're all over the Roman world at that time. They've, they've been driven from their land from here and there and everywhere. And so James writes this book to those people who are dispersed around the world in, in terms of their world. And 
he says, this is how you need to live. This is the kind of thing that believing in Jesus will bring into your life and must be a part of your life if you're to claim him. And the first thing that he deals with then is why do the righteous suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? That's right where he starts because a vast number of the Christians in those days, they had been persecuted because they're Jews. They had been tossed out of their country. They'd been driven around the world. They'd been persecuted because they're Jews. And now there's another minority of these people who have become Christians, and they're persecuted because they're Jews and because they're Christians. I mean, they could turn seven different ways and couldn't catch a break. And that's how they felt. I can't get a break. And some of you here this morning may feel a little bit like that. Life just seems to keep coming at you so fast and you just get out of one wave and another one hits you. And we say, why does God allow this in my life? I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, why does God allow this in my life right now? I, I don't understand what God is doing. And I often don't understand what God is doing in my life, but James says he is doing something. God is always active in my life at all times with opportunities to grow and opportunities to be who he wants me to be. God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Now, this is a pretty young crowd here, so you wouldn't remember the coach of the Dallas Cowboys back in the 60s. His name was Tom Landry. And he said, my job is to take 54 men and get them to do what they desperately don't want to do so that they can accomplish what they desperately do want to accomplish, which is to win the Super Bowl. And uh, he was pretty good at it. Later in life, after he retired as a coach, he went on the board of Dallas Seminary. So he knew about accomplishing God's work in his life. James says, trials in my life have a purpose. You see, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's not my first reaction when I get into trouble. Is that yours? Do you just instantly and immediately go, oh, wow, another opportunity. Ow, that hurts so bad. Oh, I just love this pain. That's, that's not exactly how I respond. Perhaps it's not how you respond either. And that's why James talks to us about it. Because it's, it's not where we would automatically go. It's not where we would normally go. It's not the thing that just comes into our mind. It has to be brought in to our mind. You see, we are, we are God's scattered people. We are not God's sheltered people. Trials 
are going to come into our lives according to Jesus. Jesus said, in this world, you shall have what? Tribulation. Yeah, you knew. And Paul said, through much toil and temptation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through much struggle, we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's absolutely no real struggle to accept Jesus as Savior. We just have to admit our need for him and come to him in faith and ask him into our lives. But then the struggle begins to enter into the kingdom of God, not to be part of the kingdom of God. We are if we have trusted Jesus. But to enter into the kingdom, enter into what God has for us, that takes struggle. It always takes struggle. There will always be trouble. There will always be difficulty in your life, in my life. James says, get used to it. But he says more than that. It's not just, oh, you know, hang on there. Hang on and don't let the storm blow you away. Just hold on. You know, he says, greet it. Greet your trials and tribulations with joy. <laughs> Come on, James. How are we going to do that? I don't know about you, but I often feel like people tell me to cheer up. It could be worse. So I cheered up, and sure enough, it got worse. <laughs> and that's, that's sometimes where we live. Some of you are probably living way up here, really excited about everything now, but there's been a time, and there will be a time in your life when you got to turn and say, hey, James, what were you saying there about trial and tribulation? What were you saying about difficulties in my life? Because you said greet them with joy. How am I going to do that? How in the world am I going to treat this with joy when trouble and difficulty and persecution comes into my life? So we better check that out. You know... <clears throat> The first word here is consider or count. Right there in verse 2, count it all joy. So there's, a, there's a, an accounting going on in my mind and indeed in the depths of my soul. There's, there's an assessment of the situation that I'm in. And that's what I have to do. We, we need to evaluate our trials and troubles in the light of what they can mean and in the light of what God may do. You see, if I value comfort more than I value character, then trouble and trials will upset me. If I am more concerned about the present than I am about the future, then my troubles and trials will embitter me. If I value the material more than the spiritual. It's going to make me angry when I come into difficult times. And so I have to start off with an evaluation of where I want to go and who I want to be and what I want my relationship with God to be. And so I have to, I have to sit down and count. Count what's going on 
and evaluate in the light of God's plan and purpose and provision and revelation to me. I need, a, I need to make an evaluation. Job said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job kind of may have had it just as difficult as you're having it right now, right? In fact, I can't imagine that anybody had more grief than Job. He's given to us as the archetypical sufferer in the scripture. When you, you must remember this. At the end of the book of Job, you know, we want to come, okay, now, he's suffered all this time. Why do the righteous suffer? And God doesn't enter into that with Job at all at the end of the book. <laughs> he just says, oh, so you know everything. You can assess what's going on in the light of eternity, can you? And Job's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe we need to go there too sometimes. And so he wants us to adopt a joyful attitude. That's not always easy. And so there's something I need to know if I'm going to adopt a joyful attitude. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Faith is always tested. And it's only... When faith is tested, it's only when there are trials that your faith grows. It's just like a muscle. Faith is like a muscle. Folks, this morning I am suffering. I need your sympathy. The doctor told me I should do resistance training. You know, when you get 80, you have to keep active. So, uh, my son took me to the gym, and he hurt me. <laughs> here, here, Dad, I want you to sit on this machine and, and pull, and pull. No, 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 go back slowly. It's about 780 pounds. I don't know. And, and, and I finished 12 of those, and I stumble off, and he does his, you know, and then, and then I'm, let's go. No, no, we're not done yet. You're going to do it again. So this goes on. No, Dad, you're not done yet. We're going to do it three times. And then, no, Dad, you're not done yet. There's another machine here. We, oh, and then the next day, what am I? Jelly. It didn't make my muscles stronger. It just made them sore. But what do I, I, I know this. I, 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 I have counted, made an account of something that I know. I know that if I keep that up long enough, the hurt will go away and the muscles will be bigger. <laughs> like they need to be. And so it's the same way in our spiritual lives, friends. Listen to them very carefully. It's only in the difficult times that my faith can grow. It's only in the times when I struggle against something 
that my spiritual muscles can grow. If I try to do a pull-up, if I try to do push-ups, if I try seven different... I can't do them very well now, but give me a few weeks. By the time I'm done here, I'll be... Yeah. Anyway, you get the picture. We, 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 we need trials. We need difficulties to then come to God and say, God, how are you going to take me through this? God, I, I need you. I feel like I'm going to drown. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to allow your spirit to work in my life. Testing helps us mature. God wants spiritual maturity in our lives. What's this, what is spiritual maturity? Well, it's, it's likeness to Jesus. The work that God is doing in my life is with his goal to make me more like Jesus. The work that God wants to do in your life is to make you more like Jesus. And Jesus was tested. Jesus was tempted. Jesus went through the struggles that you and I go through. And he understood where he was going and why he was here. And you and I have God's word to tell us where we're going and why we're here and what God wants from us in the meanwhile. And one of the things he wants from us is not to become bitter. You've, you've heard of friends, you've, you've probably got friends who have walked away from Jesus because they had suffering in their lives and they said, this is, this is not real. This, there's nothing to this. I'm out of here. This is not what I signed up for. You know, I didn't sign up for a lot of things that have come into my life. But this is one thing James knows, and this is the thing that you and I can know together, that God knows what's going on, and God is still involved in our lives. Let's... You see, you see, the first word is count, but we have to know in order to be able to count properly. I have to know in order to make an account of these things that God has a purpose in this. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is I have no clue what that purpose is a lot of times. And I need to know what's going on, don't you? I want to know what, where, where will this path lead me? What's down at the end of it? And I don't know that. And because of that, some people have walked away from Jesus. Because they expected, they wanted what he didn't promise. They wanted an easy life. They wanted their problems all to be solved. They wanted a God who would just watch over them and make the pathway easy for them all the time. Jesus said the pathway is narrow and straight. Didn't say it was easy. And immature people are always impatient. You see, patience is necessary. It's a, it's a ne necessary ingredient in my life and in your life in order to come through these difficult times. I need patience. I don't have much, but I need it. I'm, and if, 
I am not impatient. It just says I am immature in Jesus. And he talks here, he says he wants us to be perfect and complete. Now, Pastor Ashwin uh, mentioned last Sunday about perfection in, in Scripture, so I'll just say, go back and listen to what he said, and then I don't have to take time to explain it to you. Um, I, I should mention, he didn't know my sermon, I didn't know his, before we each prepared our own. So if I overlap him a bit here, <laughs> that's just because it's the Bible. Abraham's impatience led to Hagar and Esau and, 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 and uh, all kinds of trouble. Moses' impatience led him to try and take God's people out of the land before it was their time, before it was God's time. Led him into the wilderness for 40 years. Impatience always takes us the place that God is not leading us. When we are patient in the troubles and trials, and if I understand they're for my good, I can rejoice in them. That, that muscle illustration is just something that we, all of us should be able to enter into. We, we can hurt, but we are willing to do it. Why? Because at the end, we will be thinner. At the end, we will be stronger. At the end, we will be able to do the things we want to do. So the trials and the struggles are a part of what God is doing in my life. They're not in spite of what God is doing. They're not a lack of God doing. They are a part of God leading me to the place where in eternity and forever and ever I will be able to enjoy his goodness and his greatness and all that he has promised to us and everything that Jesus died to bring into our lives. Let endurance have its perfect result. And so the third word that we need, you've got this word count, you've got this word know, and then there's one more word, and that's let. I don't know if you came this morning hoping for a grammar lesson, but you do understand that this let is, it's a third person, uh, now my mind's gone blank. If I say, you do it, that's a second-person command. And if I say, let, that's called a third-person command. So what he is saying, he's just saying, everybody. I don't care who you are. Everybody, let. Let this work go on in your life. Now, he doesn't, he's, he doesn't say, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get out there. I want you to get active. I want you to do this, that, and the other thing. He says, let. When trial comes into my life, the last thing in the world I want to do is let. <laughs> let. 
Come on, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to beat this. No. He says, wait a minute. Before you try to get out from under it, consider God is at work in your life. Now, I'm not suggesting to you go around looking for suffering. It'll find you. Don't worry about that. It'll come. But we need to let God work through difficult times to bring us to the place he has for us. There's two words used here for the process of fruit bearing. He wants us to be fruitful Christians. One means to have all the component parts, and the other means to bring to full maturity. And there's a big difference between those two. A green apple has all the component parts, but it'll give you a stomachache. And so it is that we need not only to have all the component parts, but we must allow God, through difficulty, and struggle in this life to bring us to a place of sweet, juicy fullness where, where my spirit is open to him. Where my spirit says, Lord, I don't know what's going on right now. I, don't, I, ha- I have no idea what, what you've brought into my life or what you have done to me here but I leave it with you to bring fruit in my life from these struggles now if I'm in a difficult place I am going to do something to see if I can get out of it they didn't have an option it wasn't it was somebody else bringing suffering into their lives And James says, I want you to see that. You know, there's a lot of Christians. They're like porcupines. They have a lot of good points, but you can't get too close to them without hurting yourself. And it is the struggles. It is the difficulties. It is the awful pain in my life that can bring me to that place where I fully trust God in everything. Or it will take me to the place where I'm angry and bitter because my life is difficult. Of course your life is difficult, James says. That's a part of growth. That's what God is doing. He's working in your life at that moment. And he asks you to take a look at things and settle in your heart. Is this okay? Am I willing to let God bring about whatever it is he's trying to do in my life today? Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for trouble. May we receive it as from you and find strength in you through it. May we grow in grace. May we grow in our walk with you. May we grow in our testimony to others by the way we go through difficult times. So, Father, I thank you 
for all that you will do in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.